Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Good Thursday morning to you, Mike McNamara, in for a Thursday edition of All Marine Radio. And we're going to continue our discussion on diversity. Um, So I think what you'll find is so the commandant was on NPR and I'm going to play that again today. Okay. So he's on NPR and he has this discussion about diversity. And so it is NPR so they have their own slant. Um, I don't think the interview is nearly as good as it could have been. If they had prepared for it a little bit, but that's my own opinion. I'm sure NPR doesn't give a shit. Um, so in the course of doing, uh, recording the Mensa Brother thing last night, um, something occurs to me like, okay, so we, we've gone through the Marine Corps numbers, right? So, well, how does the Marine Corps stack up to the other services? What does that look like? So I went out. I went and dug those numbers up. And, uh, and so it's pretty interesting when you look at the Marine Corps in the context of the other services. How, how does the Marine Corps stack up? Um, and so I found the same, the same exact reports, 2006 to 2016, Yada, yada, yada. And so um, I could, but you know, the one I could not find was the armies. 
It's not on the website. It's not on the internet. So I did something that almost never works. I went up into the web address and I looked at it and I was, I was messing around with the Navy report. And so I just highlighted the word Navy and typed in the word Army, assuming that everything else would be the same, which many times it's not, but I did that. And lo and behold, guess what pops up? Yeah, a win. The Army report pops up. So, um, so we're going to take a look at that data today. And then the other thing that comes up in our discussion, which gets me thinking after we finish it, is the question of what makes the Marine Corps great? Okay. What makes the Marine Corps great? And so the argument for diversity belongs where in this discussion of defending the nation and what makes a certain organization great. And you could say that the greatest achievements in the history of the Marine Corps are executed when the Marine Corps is not a diverse organization. It is a white organization, Hispanics, are included, Native Americans are exclu- are included, and obviously Asian Americans during World War II, not so much, right? So in World War II in Korea, the Marine Corps writes some of its most incredible history as a segregated organization. Okay, so let's talk about that. So what made the Marine Corps great? Well, what makes the Marine Corps great is this relentless devotion to things more difficult and this refusal to lose no matter what. You can read about it in, in, in that period of Marine Corps history, but all done as a segregated organization, right? And we look, up the, we look at the flag raising at Iwo Jima, right? And there was black Marines on the island. They were unloading right? They were unloading the ships. So, so what makes an organization great? And I think it is those things. Those are the unifying things about the Marine Corps that make it great. This relentlessness, this toughness, this refusal to lose, this idea that the Marine Corps is more difficult because it is, right? That is punctuated and emphasized by our recruit training and our officer candidate school. It is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. If you're looking for the benefits and to serve, yeah, stay away from the Marine Corps. It's too much ass pain. So the greatness of the Marine Corps comes in in those values, and that's who we attract. And when you ever go into harm's way with that group of people, stand the fuck by, man. What you're going to see is something that will take your breath away. They'll make you cry. When that group gets challenged, watch what the fuck they do. They set their jaw and they'll go back out there 
relentlessly as many times as you need them to go. They will take on whatever foe is out there. <clears throat> out there. They will endure whatever comes their way. Death, <clears throat> disfigurement, wounded, whatever. It doesn't matter. And then they will come back victorious because they know that is their legacy. And that's who we attract. That's what we train to. And that's what we do. So the greatness of it becomes that unifying theme. Okay. So I want, so after we kind of get the show started, I'm going to play General Berger's interview again. Okay, so what role does diversity play? If the greatness of an institution is established, right, by its vision, its history, its identity, and that's what attracts people to it. And I would tell you, the Marine Corps is a great organization. But much of its history, like much of like a lot of American history, is written as a as a segregated nation. As, so it's a flawed, it's a flawed institution, and to read its history is the history of a flawed institution. And believe it or not, right? We we're all not born either as nations as people in the ideal of the world. For most, it's a process of evolution. And again, this, this whole discussion, it was legal in the world to own black people. In the world, okay? Not in the United States, in the world until the mid-19th century. They were property, okay? Now, we can all look back at that and go and, and be horrified by it. And rightly we should. But that was the world as it was. So the study of our history is a study of flawed institutions, of flawed people, and the evolution of that. What makes America great is this constant drumbeat to be greater, to be more inclusive beyond what the world has ever seen. That's what makes America great. So America great. So what is the role of diversity? Stronger, better, when we're more diverse. Now, that's an interesting, and, and that's what one of the things I love about doing the, this program. Okay, so I could make you an argument that I could be racially diverse, diverse, not diverse. I could be racially diverse, and be about as narrow as narrow could be. Why? Because I'll recruit my racially diverse workforce from the west side of L.A., the most privileged people in the nation, living a life, you know, of privilege. That is not going to be diversity. Although you will be racially diverse, but diversity of thought, which is one of the things you'll hear us talk about here today. So, so the cosmetics of diversity don't get you diverse. And 
I think everybody believes that diversity gives us greater strength. Diversity of thought. And as Will points out on a continual basis, assuming that everybody of a certain color thinks a certain way is a problem. In itself, racist. Oh, you're black, so you believe this. Or you're white, so you believe that. Okay. So you can see this idea of quotas, this idea of diversity is a difficult concept to make real. So if what you're simply talking about is is racial quotas, then that's pretty easy. You can do that. But the the strength of the organization is going to come from what? People of different socioeconomic backgrounds, people from different geographical places in the nation who grow up with different experiences. And then when you put that in one room and you begin to solve problems, you sit around a table and you hear things like, wow, I never thought of it like that. Diversity of thought. Now, what role does race play in that? Well, that's a good question. And I don't know that I have an answer to that. Because again, I could recruit for you a cosmetically diverse workforce all from the west side of L.A. that would pretty much have the same perspective on life. Would that be diversity to you? So so the nuances of this discussion is interesting, okay? So what makes the Marine Corps great is, is, is a really interesting question. What, makes, what has made it great in its history? And again, much of that history written as a segregated organization. Does that invalidate its greatness? I don't think so. But flawed institution, as the nation has been flawed. And so, so diversity, an interesting subject, okay? What makes you great? What makes you better? So we're, we're going to talk about that today. And, 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 and I'll go through this, this data of all the services. So where does the Marine Corps shake out relative to the other services? Is it better? Is it worse? So I think you'll find that data really interesting too. So, you know, and again, I think this is important, an important discussion. I've had people contact me in the last 24 hours and it's like, dude, when you go down that path, man, I hold my breath because we don't talk about this shit in public and we don't talk about it out loud. You want to know why? Because you'll get your ass fired. And especially if you're saying things that you think are true. We are afraid to have these kind of conversations. So it's kind of interesting sitting in the car listening to it on my way home. And I'm just thinking, holy shit, man, be careful. Um, so uh, we'll go through that today. 
So we'll start the program, um, and I, I'm not going to do it. Is there any news headlines that I need to know about? I don't know. I'll check the top five in early bird and see what's in there. And then uh, what I want to do for you is I want to play the commandant his interview again, okay? And I want you to listen to it for the things that he says and also for the things he doesn't say. Because like I said, I think a lot of the headlines that have been written about this interview, right, do him a disservice, okay? Because I think everybody agrees with, you know, diversity makes us stronger, okay? It's not what makes us great, right? What makes us great is our high standards. What makes us great is our discipline. What makes us great is our rigorous training. What makes us great is our emphasis on leadership, on servant leadership. Those are the things that make us great. Diversity makes all those things better. Diversity of thought and diversity of color. No doubt. Okay. How do you get there? How do you get there? And so, um, so again, we'll talk about that. So good morning. Welcome to the program on a Thursday. Um, thanks for listening and making All Marine Radio part of your day. And this is what I most love about um, and what I've always loved about uh, doing a show like this. And I was told very early in my career, hey, stay away from politics and stay away from religion. My response, fuck that, man. And and that response comes from my experience with the the Hammerhead Brothers. Yeah, with them. And um, because we talked about everything. And what I learned was respectful articulate, most of the times profane, that aside, discourse was absolutely riveting intellectual stuff. Yeah, it was. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I learned a shit ton of it. I learned a shit ton from it. And so that's what these discussions are for me. They're a chance to learn. They're a chance to listen to what a guy like General Berger is saying, right, in front of the nation about his ideas of what the Marine Corps is, right, and then not allowing the the headline writer to slant my view of what he says, but listening to the words that come out of his mouth. And to be fair to him, because I think I certainly have a responsibility to do that, although some people say you don't do that very much, you know. Um, I think in when you look at very, very delicate issues, and this is one of them, you know, and you're going to look at whether you're going to judge somebody and say, hey, that's just woke spoke, man. I mean, that's, that, that's something serious to say. And so, anyway, so, I mean, this is what I've always loved about, uh, about doing these kind of programs, and I'm en- enjoying about this. Is and just even the, this question last night came comes up that you'll hear us discuss. What makes what does make the Marine Corps great? And you begin to sit down and think about that. Well, where does our greatness come from? You know. And it's you know, and you you quickly think our greatness comes from this group of people that gravitate to this organization 
that has this, this, first of all, winning culture. Second of all, relentless culture. Third, this is me, tough culture. Next, it's good to be smart. As long as you're being those other things, it's good to be smart. And then this selfless leadership style where when the food gets delivered out in the field, the leaders go to the back of the line. The youngest Marines go to the front of the line. That's what we expect. Nobody else does that. No other service does that. I I remember being on the Ranger uh, when I was lieutenant. And um, we had a a ship store for 6,000 people. It's a, it was about the size of your kid's bedroom times two. Yeah, no kidding. And you went down there, you could buy Fig Newtons and Oreos and, you know, the Gee Dunk place, right? Some candy. I don't think they sold pop, but. Um, and so you, there'd be this line, long line to stand in it. Officers and chiefs and Marine Corps staff and COs had front-of-the-line privileges. But in the Marine Corps, you don't do that unless you're on duty and you simply don't have the time to wait in line. Why? Because their time is just as valuable as your time, and you have to live that. So I'd been up all night. I did Because of some of the things that were going on, we were off the coast of Iran, I did not have a chance to eat. And so when I got off, I went down um, to get something to eat in the, in the Gidunk store, at the ship store. And so I get in line. And after I'd stood there for about 10 minutes, a sailor turns around and he says, he goes, hey, sir. He said, you have frontal line privileges. And I looked at him and I said, I know. And then with that, like <laughs> every head around me turns and looks at me. And he, looked, and he looks at me and says, why aren't you using them? I said, yeah, we don't do that. He said, you don't cut to the front line? I said, no. I said, in the Marine Corps, your off-duty time is just as important as mine. As a leader, I'm supposed to put you in front of me. So you go in front of me. So in this line, I stand in this line with you. And now they're, now they're curious. Like, where the fuck does that? Why does the Navy have that? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And they're like, yeah, the Navy, its rank has its privileges. And so we're standing there as these guys like, these chiefs like walk to the front of the line and then they walk in the store and they're doing nothing, right? They're doing nothing. It's not like they're on duty and they got to go grab something. They just want to walk in the store and it's their privilege. And every time it happened, they would turn and look at me and I just kind of shrug. It's your culture, man. And very much is. Frank has its privileges. And so those are the things I think that make the Marine Corps great. Okay. And so then ask the question. So what role does diversity play in it? Then you have to ask this question. Okay, so what diversity of? Diversity of what? And I'll tell you what. They're really, really interesting discussions. And so one is diversity of thought. How do you get that? Okay. And that's really, really, really important. Okay. Diversity of race. Diversity of gender. Three very different and very unique conversations. And again, 
can get awkward at times. Okay? Can get awkward at times. And relative to this discussion, when yesterday we took a look at Marine Corps racial data, right? So when, when looking at what General Berger says about we want to be more representative of the nation, and we look at, at what comes into the Marine Corps and what we grow that to. And so what happens is over the course of time, Hispanic enlisted Marines are overrepresented in the Marine Corps. Senior enlisted Marines, black senior enlisted Marines are overrepresented in the Marine Corps. So when the commandant says we need to look more like the population, is he talking about getting rid of some of them? Is that what he's talking about? And bringing other numbers up? So it's only like through like looking at data and listening to him that you have that conversation. So what, what exactly is the commandant talking about? And I think yesterday, when you look at the data, I think the problem that the commandant's talking about is the problem of the general officer corps of the Marine Corps. Yeah. What it looks like racially. And so I'm going I'm, to, I'll give you those numbers here in a few minutes um, relative to the other services. And you're going to see Marine Corps, not so bad. Air Force, Navy, way worse than the Marine Corps. Mm, what? Yeah, so I think it's so to give the numbers some context. So, um, good morning on this. Uh, wow, it's 8.27. Holy shit, man. Um, yeah, time flies when you're having fun. Um, why is my phone buzzing? Some other bullshit scam artist. Um, good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. Good morning. This today is dedicated to the proposition that in, a, in an articulate and respectful way, we ought to be able to talk about anything, even race, okay, in our country, okay? And um, I would tell you that you look at different 
um, forums around the country, and we can't even listen to each other anymore. Right? We cannot even listen. To, and how does a democracy function if you don't, if you can't sit there and have a civil discussion? And I will tell you this: the people at the very top of our government are the worst. And the nation's following their lead. Our two political parties, over the what the course of the last twenty years or so, with the advent of the internet, the polarization of the navy, no, the navy of the nation, none of that's good. And so this is dedicated to the proposition that in this country we ought to be able to talk about just about anything, and you can do that in an articulate, respectful way, so that you can evolve this experiment in democracy so with that said betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute, and we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't. We don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago: persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Alright, we will uh, check the weather and then uh 
I'll very quickly check the top stories in Early Bird, and then you'll hear General Berger again. And I want you to pay very close attention to things he says. And then um, I'm going to go over some data, and then you'll hear the Mensa Brothers. So, anyway. Yeah, your full-service radio show this morning. <laughs> Whoop. Um, currently, in Quantico, sunny at 66. Nice. It is mostly cloudy, 74 at Marine Corps Base Cherry Point. Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point. Sunny in 56 in 29 Palms, which means it's cold in California. Mostly cloudy, 58 at Pendleton. Dark, cloudy in 71 in Hawaii at Camp Smith. In Okinawa, dark, cloudy, 72. Down in the Philippines, it is dark, cloudy, 81. And in Darwin, it's dark, cloudy, and 82. Currently hazy, which is bullshit. Morning overcast is the appropriate phraseology. Morning overcast, 58 degrees here in the Costa Mesa Newport Beach area of Southern California on our way to 67 degrees today. It will be 65 tomorrow, 68 on Saturday, and 83 on Sunday, 77 on Monday. You So that is a look at your weather. The um, We'll check the top stories in Top five stories in the early bird today. One, veteran military sexual trauma disability claims still not being handled properly, according to a VA watchdog. Uh, Next, Fort Lee ends Afghan resettlement effort as the first base to house Afghan evacuees has resettled its Afghan population. Where did they go? Yeah, I guess that's kind of an interesting question now. Um, when you see the record numbers down at the border, where and and you see like the stories that those people being flown out at night and flown in at night to different places around the country, where are they? Where do those people go? What what happens to them? And it's like what crickets, crickets, crickets. So what happened to the Afghan people? Where do they all go? Um, next, Bill honoring thirteen service members killed in Afghanistan heads to Biden's desk. A bill awarding congressional gold medals to the 11 Marines, one United States Navy corpsman, and one United States Army soldier who were killed in a suicide bombing in Afghanistan is headed to President Biden's desk. So uh, next, military food insecurity is getting a Pentagon-level review. Advocates and members of Congress have said for years that low military pay is threatening some troops' ability to feed their families. On Wednesday, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin announced a 90-day review to create a strategy for addressing it. Again, I, I, you know, I think when you have military members who have the opportunity to live in military housing and get paid and they can't feed their families, there's something else going on there. And I'd be curious to see the study. Okay? I would be curious to see the study that comes out of this. Where are they living? What aren't they getting money for? Or is this, in fact, families who are, this is a cry for help, right? 
is it possibly families going through divorce so they're splitting money and you know whatever i don't know i don't know but yeah this to me yeah, to me it doesn't make sense cuz the dod provides pretty well now if you want to have six kids as a pfc you're going to struggle your wife needs to get a job well she can't cuz we can't put them all in daycare okay you're in trouble you better learn you better live on base and you better be really good at saving your money and not wasting it. So, so again, I'll be very curious to see what comes out of that. Uh, the QAnon shaman, a Navy veteran, sentenced to 41 months for the January 6th riot. That in the news, that in the top five stories. And then any operational headlines. On his first African trip, Blinken confronts the question of U.S. leverage in deepening crisis. You know, Blinken, to me, our Secretary of State, he looks like a nervous dude that's not very comfortable in that position. You know, he just he just does not seem like the guy. He, to me, when you see him, I don't know, it's just his persona. He exudes, like, not a lack of confidence, in my opinion. Um Secretary of Defense Austin, Moscow should explain its troop buildup near the Ukraine. You think? You know, think about this. This 100,000 Russian troops. That's a lot, okay? That's the 1st Marine Expeditionary Force, the 2nd Marine Expeditionary Force, and most of the 3rd Marine Expeditionary Force. That's all of it in one spot. That's a lot of bodies, right? Yeah. And so the Russians have massed those troops on the Ukrainian border. I guess we'll find out. But isn't NATO, like, isn't this what you do? What about the UN? Does the UN have a role in any of this? I don't, I just, I don't understand. Uh, next story. Taiwan commissions advanced new F-16s as China threat grows. Yeah, some of the headlines that came out of the Biden G summit are pretty disturbing, right? Headline out of China, Biden affirms one China policy and that U.S. opposes, how, do, how is it phrased? Um, Taiwan secession. What? So anyway, it would help if the president said unequivocally what he believed and the White House didn't walk back what he said right the um a british f-35 crashed in the mediterranean the pilot ejected safely uh from a u.n envoy afghanistan is on the brink of catastrophe right and again i enjoy the articles the united states has to go back and, and somehow rescue the taliban hey man you won congratulations now the difficult part, all the bullshit you talked, now you got now you got to live it. All right, um, so those are the top stories. Now before you hear the Mensa brothers, which you'll hear in a few minutes, I want to play um, an article, six minutes and fifty one seconds, that General Berger did on NPR, and I want you to listen to his words because I think his words are important because he is very measured in his answers here. Okay, 
So lest we paint him with too broad of an unfair brush, right? This is General Berger in his own words in an interview about where diversity becomes a subject uh, on NPR with Rachel Martin. Okay, so I played this yesterday, but I want you to listen to it again and listen to his answers because let me tell you, there's been a lot of thought put into these answers. The U.S. Marine Corps just celebrated its 246th birthday. It's a service with a strong legacy and a strong culture, but the Commandant of the Marine Corps, General David H. Berger, says they could do better. The Marines have a 75% turnover rate, partly because of their recruiting priorities. We were the crack troops that had to respond first, and we thought that a younger force was physically stronger, mentally more resilient, and science has proven that not to be true. It actually, cognitively, we don't reach our peak until our mid-20s. And physically, if you look at our fitness scores for Marines, they don't peak until they're 24, 25, 26 years old. So the notion that when they were 17, 18, 19, that they were tougher than anybody else and could bounce back better than anyone else, not true. So General Berger has proposed a wide-ranging plan to bring in recruits with different kinds of critical thinking and tech skills, train them to be more self-sufficient, and give Marines new benefits, like up to a year of parental leave. He says times have changed. We shape the military based on the capabilities that we think we're going to need today and into the future. And the capabilities that we think we're going to need are a force that's able to operate much more distributed, much more spread out than perhaps we're accustomed to in the past, using a different set of technologies than we had 5 or 10 or 15 years ago. And I think another aspect of it that's relevant is the competition for people to recruit on the one hand, but also to retain people as they grow throughout their career. How do you make the Marine Corps appealing to a more diverse set of candidates? I think it's probably worthwhile just mentioning the things that will not change. At the center of being a Marine, and the difference for our service is that you can't join the Marine Corps. You have to actually become a Marine. Now, this is important because as he responds to her question, this is the first thing he says, that our recruits training, our officer candidate school, our standards are not going to change. It, it, the Marine Corps will always be difficult. I think that's important that everybody remember. Become a Marine. They're still going to boot camp. <laughs> still going to boot camp. It will still be hard. Boot camp will remain the same challenge for officers and for officer candidate school and for enlisted boot camp. It'll be tough. Mm-hmm. But I think the people that we bring in will be able to handle the technologies and also the decision-making. It's, it's really more about the decision-making than it is about a technology. As of 2019, only about 10% of the force was female. The other services are in the 20 to 25% range. Do you see that as a problem? Uh, here's how I would frame it. Up until a few years ago, some portions of the Marine Corps were not open to females. We are a purely combat force. That is one of the differences between us and the other services. We are built for one thing. So I, w- I think our percentages to the outsider will look very, very low, but we were built under a different set of circumstances. That is changing. 
You know, I covered the Pentagon years ago, and I remember in 2011, in the middle of the debate over whether women could be in combat, there was a lot of resistance, especially from the Marine Corps. Right. And there were concerns about really specific things, right? What What do you do if a Marine gets pregnant, uh, for one? Or I heard this from senior leadership in the Marine Corps, the potential of eroding, quote, unit cohesion if women were allowed on the front lines. Did you hear concerns like that? Oh, absolutely. They, uh, they're bare, they, they, in 2010, 2011, we should listen each time to those combat veterans who have concerns. They're looking out for the best of the service, best of the military. But I think their service was in a different time. And we have found ways in all across the military to accommodate what they were concerned about. And it has not affected cohesiveness in a combat unit. So if you want to recruit more women, you're validating what those concerns were, but at the same time, don't you need to break that narrative that women aren't up to the job? We do, and it's happening right now. But it will take some time before, uh, at the senior levels, you see the numbers of women in senior leadership positions that look, those are the ones, you know, when, when you and I grow up in an organization, we want to see people above us that kind of look like us and act like us, and we go, we could do that. So the lack, you know, of enough of them to be role models at the very senior levels will take time, but it's, it is coming. I'm looking right now at the website where the leadership of the Marine Corps appears, your bio and photo, right. and your leadership team, and they're all white men of a certain age, older, um, how do you want that perception, both externally and internally, of what a Marine is to change? The goal, I think, as uh, Secretary Austin points out, the goal is to reflect America, to reflect the society we come from. And we do on the front end. That's how it looks when we come into officer candidate school and we come into boot camp. But over the course of 30, 35 years, it ends up not looking like what it came in to be. So we have to change that. Because if at the senior levels, there's a lack of that kind of diversity, it's not being politically correct, it's not being woke. Actually, the strength of America is that we we don't all look the same, we're not all from the same place, we don't think the same. My experience in... uh... All right, I want to play that back again, because I think that's an important exchange, okay? So I want you to listen to this exchange one more time. I'm from. And we do on the front end. Externally and internally of what a Marine, where the leadership of the Marine Corps. Okay. So she's talking about the leadership of the Marine Corps. She goes to the website. She said it's it's all white, older men. Of the Marine Corps appears, your bio and photo. Right. And your leadership team. And they're all white men of a certain age, older. Um, how do you want that perception, both externally and internally, of what a Marine is to change? The goal, I think, as uh, Secretary Austin points out, the goal is to reflect America, to reflect the society we come from. And we do on the front end. That's how it looks when we come into officer candidate school and we come into boot camp. But over the course of 30, 35 years, it ends up not looking like what it came in to be. So we have to change that. Because if at the senior levels, there's a lack of that kind of diversity, it's not being politically correct, it's not being woke, Actually, the strength of America is that we we don't all look the same. We're not all from the same place. We don't think the same. 
My experience in uh, 40 years of being a Marine is our, our advantage militarily is on top of our shoulders. It's not our, actually our equipment. We are better than anybody else primarily because we don't all think exactly alike. We didn't come from the same backgrounds. It's hard enough to enact policy changes, even harder yeah. to, to push for cultural change, which sounds like some of what you're trying to do. Are you meeting resistance? Um, I would say meeting questions. There is genuine concern. I mean, genuine, like sincere concern among some senior leaders and retired Marines that be careful about messing with the soul, the center inside us, what it is to be a Marine. So their caution to me, I think, is wise. That's wisdom. They're making sure that we don't go adrift, and we're not. The centerpiece, what holds us to being a Marine, will not change. General David H. Berger, Commandant of the U.S. Marine Corps. All right, so that's the interview, okay? And so the interview gets broken up um, into the opening and, and whatnot. And then at about the two minute and 30 second mark, she turns to the, the issue of, of gender in the, in the Marine Corps. At, at the five minute mark, she begins to talk about the racial composition of the Marine Corps. And that's about a minute and 51 seconds. Okay. So that's how the, 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 that interview gets carved up. Okay. Um, there's important questions. And again, I talked about it yesterday. And um, when you begin to open up combat roles to women, again, the things that make us the, the Marine Corps great is high standards, tough training. And so, again, the question, and I think the data that would be really interesting is, right, how are women doing in these jobs? And again, noting that the ground combat integration study said that the, the, the top women in their test were equal to or below the bottom 5% of the men. So I'm sure we have data to track this stuff now. How are we doing? Okay. Because the most important thing is you cannot com come off your standard of excellence because that's the standard that make you, makes you great. As you erode your standards, as you make it so that anybody can do it, guess what? You compromise your warfighting ability. That's what you're there for. And that's a really important discussion. How well, how, how low do we make the standards to be inclusive to everybody? So that's where the gender discussion goes. And so this whole notion of, oh, you hate women, you, no, no, that's not the discussion. The discussion is about standards, okay? That's what it is. And you can hear it in her voice, too, the way she asks the class, the, the way she asks a question, okay? Did you hear these kind of discussions? Yeah, it was a discussion about excellence, not hating women, but that's not how it, it, it's ever portrayed. All right. Then at about the five minute mark, the commandant says, according to the secretary of defense, he wants us to reflect the society that we come from. All right. And General Berger says, you know, in the Marine Corps, right, we bring them in along the lines of our population. But over the course of 35 years, we end up not being that way. Now, 
the rules of the way promotion boards operate are pretty, they're enacted by Congress, okay? There's minority representation and female representation on every board. And that's the way we select. Okay, now, should that change? Should the criteria for selection change in terms of the way we promote? And if it does change, are we going to, and again, I'll use the data. If we have 20% of the Marine Corps senior enlisted leaders are Hispanic and they are 18% of the population, are we then going to look at that and say, okay, right, only X number of Hispanics can get promoted? on this board. Are we then going to go to that so that we can be more reflective? I don't think the commandant's talking about that. And so I think if if she would have pinned him down, the senior leadership that he's talking about is the senior officer leadership of the Marine Corps. And then he closes with, to be fair with him, the soul of the Marine Corps is not going to change and that the concern of Marines that have approached him, both on active duty and retired, has been that we don't come off these high standards. We don't come off this discipline. We don't come off this tough training. Because that's what people are saying. It's too hard. Women can't do this. But we're not supposed to say that. We're not supposed to have that discussion. Because if you define combat as what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan, and that is the current definition, then people say, well, women can do all of it. Yeah, that's an interesting discussion. And it's one we won't even have in public. You want to know why? Because it's not allowed. Go ahead and, 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 and sit down you know, with male Marines who worked with female Marines and had to go out every day and listen to their stories. Those tasks are very difficult. It's very difficult on the female body. Not made like the male body. And I went into that yesterday. But again, we won't enter, even entertain that discussion. But, but so that perspective is a, is a perspective about mission accomplishment and being good where the rubber meets the road. But socially, right, you can't even go there. So anyway, I wanted you to hear General Berger's comments, what he says and what he doesn't say. Okay? I think what he's kind of dancing around is the problem, the general officer problem. Okay, Mac, so how bad is the general officer problem? And again, the Mensa brothers are going to come up here in a few minutes. Um, so let me read you data that I found last night. So I, I went through Marine Corps data yesterday. Well, it occurred to me last night, it would probably be illustrative to see where the Marine Corps ranks relative to the other services. So here's race data um, for all four branches of the service. Okay. So enlisted, junior enlisted, how we recruit at. For American Indians, right, and Alaskan Natives, Right now, that's their term, American Indian. I would say 
Native Americans to include those who happen to be from Alaska. I don't know they would, why they would be separated out, but nonetheless, they are. Right? They are 1% of the population. They are 0.7% of the Air Force. They are 0.9% of the Army. They're 1.4% of the Navy, and they're 1.1% of the Marine Corps. Okay? So this is E1 through E3. Asian population, 4.3% of the Air Force, 4.3% of the Army, 4.9% of the Navy, and 2.8% of the Marine Corps. Black or African, 17% of the Air Force, 25% of the Army, 21% of the Navy, and 11% of the Marine Corps, okay? They are 13% of the population, okay? So if we're going to look more like the population, is Secretary Austin going to say, hey, Army, Air Force, Navy, you got to stop recruiting so many young black people because that's not reflective of the nation. You're gonna, is that what we're talking about? And Right? Cue the rim shot. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, multi-race, right? Air Force, 4.8%. The Army, zero. Don't ask me why. Um, the Navy, 7.9%. And the Marine Corps, 0.5%. I don't think the multi-race category is very well um, tracked or um, articulated or you know whatever you want to call it. Um, Pacific Islanders, they are 0.5% of the population. 1.1% of the Air Force, 1.1% of the Army, 1.1% of the Navy, and 1% of the Marine Corps. White. All right, so again, E1 through E3. 71% of the Air Force, 68% of the Army, 59% of the Navy, and 83% of the Marine Corps. All right, white people are 60% of the nation. Okay, now again, in this data, it's a bit problematic because Hispanics are not included in the data. And so Hispanic data is, which, would, which is separate because it's an ethnic group, right, and all that, not a race. The Air Force is 17% Hispanic. The 17.2, the Army 17.5% Hispanic, the Navy 16.6, the Marine Corps is 22% Hispanic. The only branch of the service in which the Hispanic population is greater than the 18% mark, which is their their percent of the population, Marine Corps. All right, now let me go to E7 through E9. So this is the very... Mo, the most senior enlisted, right? And I'm going to expedite this a little bit. So for Asians, right, the Air Force is 2.2%. The Army is 2.9%. The Navy is 7.4%, and the Marine Corps is 2.4%. Okay? Um, black or African, the Air Force, 16%. The Army, 26%. The Navy, 18%, and the Marine Corps, 16%. So the Marine Corps senior enlisted 
is the equivalent of the Air Force. What's, what's interesting about all these numbers is, is in terms of senior enlisted black human beings or African-American, because that's what the category says, um, the Air Force starts with 17% and goes to 16%. The Army starts with 25% and goes up a percent to 26%. The Navy starts with 21% and drops down to 18%. The Marine Corps starts with 11% and goes up to 16%. Interesting. Um, white. The Air Force starts at 71% white, and the senior enlisted people in the Air Force are 69% white. The Army starts at 68% white and drops to 55% white. The Navy starts at 59% white and increases to 63% white in its senior leadership. The Marine Corps starts at 83% white and drops to 64%, almost a 20% decline in the senior leadership, right? Um, so clearly, Hispanics and black, the two major um, minorities, existing way above their percentage of the population. Hispanics, um, and this is interesting, in the Air Force, they start at 17%. Senior enlisted are 10%. They go down. The Army start at 17% and go down to 13.8%. The Navy start at 16.6% and goes down to 13%. The Marine Corps starts at 22% and goes down a point to 21%. Okay, so again, as, as you frame this, the Marine Corps... Um, not as white as the Air Force and the Navy. So you look at the numbers, and we, we, we tend to be in line with all that. And so, again, I don't think General Austin's talking about the enlisted side of the American military. What is he talking about? He's talking about the officers. All right? He's talking about the officers. And so for the sake of moving through this quickly again, um, I'll go through percentages of Asian, black, Hispanic, and white. Um, so Asians include in are 6% of the population. They come into the Air Force at 5.3%, into the Army at 6.5%, into the Navy at 5.2%, and into the Marine Corps at 3.4%. Right? Blacks are 13% of the population. They come into the Air Force from as second lieutenants as 6% of the population. They come into the Army at 10.8% of the population. At um, The Navy comes in at 7.3% of the population, and the Marine Corps 4.8% of the population. Now remember, this is 2016 data, okay, all branches. Whites, this is officers again, right? Second lieutenant through captain. Air Force, 80% is white. The Army, 75% is white. The Navy, 78% is white. And the Marine Corps, 80% is white. Percentage of um, officers that are Hispanic, 
they enter. Air Force is 7%. The Army is 8%. The Navy is 8%. And the Marine Corps is 9%. Now, the interesting thing is where these numbers go, okay? And this is going to be a little bit astounding to you, okay? So all branches, general officers, okay? Let me start with white. The Air Force starts with seventy it, with eighty percent of second lieutenants what that are white, ninety three percent of the general officers of the, of the Air Force are white. The Army starts with seventy five percent of its officers as white. The general officers are eighty three percent white, so that that number goes up. The Navy starts with seventy eight percent of their officers that are white. That number goes to 89% that are white. The Marine Corps starts with 80% that are white and goes to 86% that are white. So both the Air Force and the Navy have higher numbers of white general officers and flag officers than the Marine Corps does, the Army being the lowest, lowest at 83%. Okay. Um, Hispanics. Air Force starts at 7.3, they go down to 1%. The Army, 7.6, they go down to 1%. The Navy starts at 8.3%, they go down to 2.8%. The Marine Corps starts at 9%, they go down to 3.5%. So the Marine Corps has the highest number of Hispanic general officers in the DOD. Um black or African-American, that comparison, right? The Air Force starts at 6%. Their general officers that are black are 5%. The Army starts at 11%. They grow that number to 12%. The Navy starts with 7.3%. That number drops to 6 point, I'm sorry, to 5%. The Marine Corps starts with 4.8%. And grows that number to 6.9%. So the Marine Corps has the second highest, next to the Army, number of black general officers. Asians, right? The Air Force starts with 5%. They have less than 1% of their general officers that are Asian. The Army starts with 6%, 6 2.5% of their general officers are Asian. The Navy, 5.2% down to 3.7%. They have the highest percentage of Asian flag officers. And then the Marine Corps starts at 3.5% and goes to 1.1%. Marine Corps has the second lowest number of Asian general officers. So when you, when you shake out this data, you could see the Marine Corps, while not the best, is not the worst across the board. It is generally second in terms of ranking, in terms of diversity of general officers. And that was kind of surprising to me as I went through that data. As you paint this picture, like, oh, you know, the Marine Corps is horrible. Well, guess what? No, it's not. So now you're going to hear the Mensa brothers. And, and so I think these, these ideas are important. I think this discussion on race and diversity is important. And I think it's important that, that we, we discuss the nuances of this kind of stuff. 
And those questions are, excellence and performance in combat is why the organization exists. So what has made the Marine Corps great? What are the qualities that have made the Marine Corps great? Which much of the great history of the Marine Corps has written when it was, it was a segregated organization. Okay? So once you begin to identify those values, right? A culture devoted to winning, a, de- a culture devoted to the relentless p- pursuit of things more difficult, a culture that refuses to lose, a culture that believes in difficult training, a culture that believes in servant leadership. So that's what makes it great. So what role does diversity play? Well, what kind of diversity are we talking about? Diversity of thought. It an, plays an absolutely critical role in that. Okay, how do you? what role does diversity of color play? It makes you stronger. It makes you stronger. Now, where does that fit into the organization? Well, it ought to fit in, right, underneath all these values that make the institution great. And so what we do is we look for qualified candidates across the board that can do these things. And we're not willing to lower the standard for anybody because we exist for the defense of the nation. It's kind of a logical syllogism. All right. So in that context now, I will give up the floor. And the Mensa brothers join me here on a Thursday edition of All Marine Radio right here on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. All right, it is Thursday, so time to uh, be joined by the Mensa brothers. Uh, joining me from greater Kansas City, Will C. What's up, Will? All is well here in the greater Kansas City area. Mike M., how are you? <laughs> Mac, okay. I go by Mac. I'm good. Your your last name intimidates me. I can't say it. So I fuck it. I'm not I'm gonna stop getting nervous about saying Costantini. So it's I have phobias about last name. Not about Tim Lynch's from uh, McAllen, Texas. Tim Lynch. Timmy, how are you? Uh, things are quiet down here on the border. Thank you very much. Sound great, by the way, Timmy. Sound great. Um and uh Jeff Kenny. How are you, Jeff? Good. I'm very good. Thank you. Where are you? How are you? I'm in uh, San Clemente. San Clemente, California, right down the road. Yeah, I just got I just got here yesterday. Right. Just been traveling, so we need an update on uh, his uh, guest speaker appearances. Um, how did they go? Did you uh, did you were you well received? Did you did you do all yes. right? Yeah, I did. I was in uh, Concord with the uh, Marine Corps advisor company b that's all reserve uh officers and staff and ceos about 40 guys and then um that was uh last week and then the the week before last and then last week um this last weekend i was in las vegas with uh the uh the secretive uh, a couple of secretive marine uh officers and staff and ceos from um the logistics base at barstow we're not allowed to have a ball. We just had like a little get together event at the uh, South Point um, Casino and Hotel there in the southern part of Vegas. 
Both good. Both good. Got it. Will, do you want to tell us about your trip to Florida? Uh, yeah, I just I went down there. Uh, there's a retired sergeant major down there who was a first sergeant in first LAR with me. And uh, we've always just sort of stayed connected. And uh, I actually had a really good day one day. I, I had a good weekend, but one of the days was great. This guy does Marine Corps Junior ROTC. And uh, so I got there on Thursday. It was Veterans Day. So he had his color guard out at a local barbecue place that does nothing but support the military in and around Tampa. So the kids did the color guard. And then uh, on Saturday, they had a Marine Corps Junior ROTC field meet sort of thing. Probably 10 units from around that area. Kids were there all day. And the judges for it were people from, they were the recruiters from that area, were judging drill, and they had an academic thing. And then some of the other judges were, there was a couple of Marines who were going to University of South Florida, which is in Tampa, on the uh, MISA program. And uh, it was, you know, it was a great day. And you look at these kids, uh, what they got to put into it. And figure this retired sergeant major is out there with, you know, there's retired Navy chiefs and commanders and whatnot. Yeah, it was a great day. And uh, this guy's big into horse racing. So on Friday, we sat around in a bar. Yeah, Friday, sat around in a bar as he's watching the horse races in Aqueduct. And uh, him and his buddy in nine races picked eight winners. And I think they cleared about 13 grand that day. So we had a good time. So did you, I mean, you're, you never shy away because of your gambling addiction. You never shy away from that shit. Did you participate at all? No, they, they have, they actually have an LLC together to play the ponies with. So I was uh, shut out. You know, you've, you've seen the movie, The Sting. There was yes. a scene where they had a guy set up, but then they had to close him out at the window. I'm the guy that got closed out at the window. So... Why? Yeah, you can just take their expertise and use your own. I mean, I I actually don't have a horse racing app on my phone, believe it or not. So, is that how you bet now? Don't you go to the window anymore? You can, but these races were in Aqueduct. That's in New York. They were <laughs> in Florida. Oh, uh, they're still racing horses in New York. Oh yeah, Aqueduct, Saratoga. Uh, I think there's another track I mean, up there. I didn't think you did that during the winter. I thought that's why it all went south during the winter. Believe it or not, the track here wasn't open. I don't think the track here opens up until January, or here in Tampa. I don't think it opens up until January. What? Yeah, they, maybe they take December off. But yeah, Aqueduct was up and running. In the slop. It was raining up there. Tough day at the track. In the slop. Oh, yeah. Tough day at the yeah, track. Yeah, you got to be able to hint. They picked eight out of nine winners. Come on. What does that tell you? The fix was a in. A smaller rat. Right? Well, the fix was in. Exactly. The guy who he's in the uh, LLC with, his name does end in a vowel. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> there you go. How do we know? How do we know such things? The, um, all right. Um, Commandant got, uh, interviewed by NPR and, uh, the uh, and I talked about this yesterday on the program. I thought I'd give you guys a chance to weigh in on it. Uh, 
It has to do with diversity. And uh, so you guys had a chance to listen to his um, his interview. Now, I, I will say this. Um, I saw the headlines, and then I listened to the interview. A lot of the headlines, to me, don't really, and the function of a headline is to make you read, right? A lot of the headlines don't really portray um, what General Berger, the totality of what he said. And, and But like all headline writers will, they will cherry pick a, a point so that you will click their shit. And, that's, and those are the headlines that went out um, across the country. Um, so, uh, Timmy, start with you. Um, you listen to it and then, I, and then I want to talk. Um, so yesterday what I did is I kind of went through and I'm not sure if we've done it, but I went through a, pre, uh, um, a PDF that the Marine Corps published and it has Marine Corps demographics from 2006 to 2016. And it shows, um, our racial and ethnic because we include Hispanics. I you know, and this is weird, but being Hispanic is not a race, okay? So you see racial data for the Marine Corps and Hispanics are not the largest minority of the Marine Corps is not included in that data. So you you've got to interpolate it into it and they're a separate category. So you get you get 100% and then if you add the Hispanic category in, you get 122.4. So you have to say, okay, so where are all these Hispanic Marines in the rest of this data? Now, some of them are in unknown, and then some of them are probably in white, some of them are probably in black, but because that's the way they they self-identify. Yeah, how about that for being woke? So anyway, um, so um, I, I, I w- and I went through that data. So I'll, I'll kind of set that up, and we can talk about that, but... Um, Timmy, your thoughts on his interview? I, I found it very discouraging. I mean, the whole premise that we have to reflect the society we come from, I don't understand why that's a premise. I'm not really too sure what that has to do with a, a functioning Marine Corps. And, I'm, and I find this entire conversation distressing because if you battle back with facts, they're irrelevant to the conversation. The conversation is not based on facts. It's based on 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 the ideology that I, I don't see as being particularly beneficial to the Marine Corps. So I was very discouraged to hear the commandant patiently explaining why he feels compelled to do something, which I have no idea why he feels it need to do. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand the point, which, which All given right. the last 20 year performance, you'd think there were other things for us to focus on, but we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about this and I'm not sure why. Will, how about you? Yeah, I start with the number one question. What's the problem you're trying to solve? So if you look at the last 20 years uh, or the last 240 years, uh, I don't know that performance in combat is a problem in the Marine Corps. And so General Berger uh, frames the problem as that we've got to reflect the society we come from, but then he does a very able job of, of mixing the diversity word. You know, he says, one of our strengths is, is that we come from different backgrounds 
So we have different ideas, we think differently, and that helps to form the best possible solutions. And then the interviewer says, yeah, but when I look at the senior leadership, it's all white men. And he says, yeah, we want to change that to reflect the diversity of the country. So that's a very, very racist statement, because what you're saying there is that someone's outward appearance, a benign characteristic race, right? If, 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 you, if you are not a racist, then you think that race is meaningless. But when she says that it's all white men up there, uh, and he says, yeah, we need to better reflect diversity. So he's not talking about diversity of background, diversity of thought. He's talking about a very benign characteristic, your outward racial appearance. Um, so if that's the problem he's trying to solve, it's actually a very easily solvable problem. You just do quotas. If you want to have to- Well, and again, and, and again, I would say it is a very small problem in that you're specifically talking about officer numbers at the general officer yeah, level. That's the number. And that is how many? That is maybe a dozen people? It's, uh, figure there's 85 general 80, officers. 80, 87. 87. Okay. 87 generals. Um, and uh, again, it's racist, though, to solve that problem. You know, and the other thing he talked about. But again, that's but again, that's to me when when he says we're not reflective, that is where we're not reflective. Right. And so what you're talking about is thirteen black general officers and eighteen Hispanic general officers. So you're talking a total of thirty one people, right? Out of this Marine Corps. In my ah. opinion, is that the problem that he's talking about? Because the rest of the Marine Corps is more than reflective of the nation. Now, there's 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 parts of it that maybe we could say, okay, we'd like to have more Asians, Oops. right? And 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 so if we're gonna, and then we can we'll talk about that. But um, but it, do you think is that is that the problem that he's really wrestling with? Because the rest of the Marine Corps is reflective of the nation. Yeah. So the 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 face of the Marine Corps are the people that are up there and testify and the people that testify for the most part are three and four star generals. And if the reason to change that is, Oh, we believe that the Marine Corps is worthwhile to the country. And so therefore it needs to be funded. And the people that do the funding are the ones that sit on the other side of that desk. When you go testify and so if we don't have the right racial uh, sex mix up there, they're not going to fund us. Well, that's not true. They actually fund us just fine. And, oh, by the way, the people that are demanding us to change, to look that way, they actually hate the Marine Corps. They're not going to fund the Marine Corps no matter what you do. Right? Jackie Spire, she's just announced her retirement. She's not going to vote for anything for the Marine Corps. Jack. Jackie Spires. Jackie Spires, Congresswoman. Th- those people are not the people, Chris- Kirsten Gillibrand, they're not the ones that call up and say, hey, Dave, hey, General, how can I help you? They, they don't do that. 
So why you want to bend to the will of people who don't have the best interests of the organization at heart uh, is bizarre. But you see that General Berger uh, has swallowed this diversity makes us stronger mantra. And again, he does it on both sides. Diversity of background, of education, of life experience. I am absolutely 100% all in on that. But then he equates it to we need to have a certain racial, ethnic, sex uh, diversity in our senior leaders in order to reflect that. Those two things have got nothing to do with each other. Uh, And he has a great opportunity uh, to educate the nation through NPR and through congressional testimony uh, and say, actually, excellence is our standard. Here's what we bring in every time. The other thing is if the senior leadership doesn't reflect what he wants to reflect, uh, he's the guy that writes a precept for all of those boards. <laughs> you know, He's the one that appoints everyone that sit on those boards. If those boards have been discriminating based on race, the buck stops in one place. So what he should do is stand up and say, I fundamentally don't believe that those boards are racist. And oh, by the way, in law on every promotion board requires female and minority representation on every promotion board. So why don't we interview all those minorities or everyone on the board and see who made their decisions based on race to generate a general officer corps that's not reflected. Could you explain explain how general officers get selected? How does it, it just so everybody? Because again, I, I I would submit to you that that's what he's. I mean, generals go through the promotion board like everyone else. You know, there's a promotion board. There's a precept that says, you know, here's what we're trying to select, best cases, etc. The only thing that's narrowly defined in the promotion boards occasionally is we need a boutique MOS. We need an intel officer. We need a comm officer uh, because the Marine Corps doesn't have a lot of billets for those people in senior positions. So every once in a while, you got to pick one of those people. Uh, The board for the brigadier generals is composed of major generals, lieutenant generals, and maybe a general sit on the board. Uh, There has to be a female. There has to be a minority representation. That's how it works for one and two stars. Three stars are all selected basically by the commandant. The commandant, they have a process where they go through and evaluate all their two-star generals, but then the commandant is the one that decides who's going to be the three-star generals himself. All right, so let me get this. So am I wrong in this, Right. If 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 the this problem he's really trying to solve because the rest of the Marine Corps is reflective, it all sits in his lap. It's 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 him, you know, having the power to decide, you know, who gets selected, and if he wants to assign quotas, he can do that because it's the generals that, he, that select he can't the generals. Yes, because that's illegal right now. But. When it comes to the, the body of two-star generals to become three-star generals, he's got 90-something percent of the juice to make that decision. Got it. 
Got it. All right. Jeff, you heard the interview. Your thoughts? You're muted right now. You're muted right now. Okay, how about now? Good. So, yeah, the, yep. uh, let's start about, you know, what he said that was true. The, uh, the first two-thirds of the, uh, the interview had nothing to do with generals or, or the leadership or anything like that. The impression was you got to change the whole Marine Corps, you know, um, population. Particularly, you got to get rid of – you can't be recruiting all these young guys anymore based on the fact that – and he craps on the idea that, you know, young troops – are valuable and what we really need is older guys who are mature so i'm listening to that and we've talked about this a little bit before so i'm thinking staff sergeant Kennedy, 1981 i'm the guy he's talking about but i didn't get there i didn't jump out of athena's out of zeus's forehead and you know and be, jump into marine boots i already had years and guy you know and he thinks find a bunch of seasoned people who you can teach to shoot, you know, uh, short to ship missiles, you know, uh, just, you know, after recruiting, it's not going to happen. That, that's not practical to just get all these, uh, you know, these, these mid to late 20s people who are going to come in and, you know, change the face of the Marine Corps. It's just not practical. And uh, it's from a recruiting standpoint. You know, it's not going to work out. The other thing about it is, as far as diversity goes, most of our recruiters are in urban areas. Most of our guys who are looking for people to join the Marine Corps are in areas where most of the people are. And those are urban. And so and just like you pointed out, we have that, you know, re reflected diversity. We have, it, you know, and the uh, so that was kind of like a falsehood that he's saying. The other thing, it's kind of it's a. Uh, I don't know if it's condescending or whatever to say that, you know, our strength is, uh, is that we all have people who think differently and that makes a success. That's totally ridiculous. I mean, the reason we're successful is because not because we're diverse, no matter what in America, you're going to be diverse. No, the thing that makes us, that gives us strength is the fact that we have unity. Like everybody, no matter who they are, agrees on the leadership traits and principles. Everybody agrees that you got to show up on time. Everybody agrees you got to you got to get a haircut and you got to be in good shape and you got to you know all that stuff is there's no diversity of thought about that. You know, that's uh that's silly. That's silly. Diversity is never a strength. It's a characteristic. You know, if you're talking about a good unit, uh, you know, a, a, that operates well as a team, it's the diversity is irrelevant to that. It's the fact that they put that shit aside and unify and unify towards a common goal. I mean, how many times have we had that drilled into us? Now all of a sudden, because of this, uh, you know, there's a there's a new wind in the air, and this baloney's part of it. You know, we have our leadership doing this, and I know, I think I understand why. You know, he he's saying these things is because he wants to feed the bear. But in my opinion, the bear isn't really that hungry. You know, he doesn't have to do this. It's like what I guess Will was saying. He had a chance to educate a little bit. Unless he really believes what he's saying, believes all that stuff, you know, then uh, then then then, you know, I just respectfully disagree with him. Yeah, I don't Jeff, think that that's, uh, you know, our our, uh, our strength at all. Yeah. And, and I but, would say my my point of diversity, I, I think the Marine Corps or uh, well, I think any organization is better uh, if you have people from a wide variety 
of educations and life experiences that come in. You avoid groupthink. And then obviously you do unify around the theme of what the organization is. I think one of the great things about the Marine Corps is actually the diversity of our officer corps. We get people that went to the Naval Academy, that went to high-end ROTC units, that went to state schools, that went through the enlisted commissioning program, that are MESEPs, people that sign up and go through PLC, people that sign up after college and go to OCC. You know, we have the widest diversity uh, in the officer corps, and I think that helps to avoid an idea of groupthink uh, that's helpful. Um, I think that, yeah, when the when push comes to shove, right, people unify around the mission and the idea of what we're trying to do. And the fact that they've thought they've been raised in different ways, they come from different areas, they have different experiences, helps to contribute to ensure you're getting a best solution. That's my idea of what diversity is. It's absolutely irrelevant. Skin color, race. Uh, right, religion, anything like that. Um, so, uh, and that's that's really that's really kind of an interesting question. That you know, we're great because of our diverse of our diversity. Why is the Marine Corps great? Right? Why is the Marine Corps? Why why did the Marine Corps right when it wrote? It's major blocks of history. What made it great, right? Which And that was, right, that you joined the Marine Corps and you joined a fight, right? Unity of purpose. To me, that's what, I mean, you look at the, the great things and, and it's, I never had been around a more, um, varied group of people than we were when we all met how many captains were at the basic school yeah 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 you you'd be in a gathering where we would be get to arguing and you had people from you know they grew up in every different way that you know you can imagine and their perspectives were all different and so um yeah, so to me, that's a good question. What makes us great? What makes us great is we gravitate to the Marine Corps because we want to fight and we want to be good and we want to be on a really good team because if you don't want that, then you certainly right. fucked it up by joining the Marine Corps because that's what you're going to get and it's not going to be easy. That's what makes us great, that we join for that. Yeah. And so, you know, we are diverse. We are diverse. I mean, it, 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 the organization is diverse. Now, I just want to go through some notes, but that's an interesting question. What makes us great? What makes us great? And it is a unified vision of being on something better and more difficult, right? And our and and our complete <laughs> um, un, disassociation of you know color, race, whatever the hell, right. right? Don't give a shit, right? Come here and do it. But let me just walk through numbers on the enlisted side and the officer side. And and I think what it does is, is it frames the narrowness of the problem. And so to me, what you see when the commandant does that, he paints a picture of a Marine Corps that isn't, in my opinion, very accurate. So that's exactly, um, that's the in terms thing. of... 
yeah, I and and to me the problem is confined specifically on the officer corps because Can I, before you so do listen the numbers, to these can I numbers, thing? um, and here's just because you just triggered something. Sure. Yeah, it's like you know the, our problem in the Marine Corps is all these young people we have. Hey, hey, that's not our problem. Our problem isn't the young guys and the young gals doing the job down there. No, our problem is the old dudes. Our is is a you know I can point to a bunch of fucking stupid things we did since 2001 till now you know none of them generated by junior folks all of them the brainchild of 06 is and above right so when these guys do this shit we got to get rid of these uh, young guys and get more mature people you mean people i mean that's just infuriating you know in a way especially since most of the dead guys yeah we don't hey we don't we don't own the we don't own the barracks anymore they do (laughs) What? Yeah. What? Whose yeah. idea was that? A lance corporal's? Yeah. No, that was a sergeant yeah. major's idea, right? And you just you're like, what? Okay. So let me go through these numbers, and I just want to illustrate. Okay, so um, American Indians, one percent in 2016 of the E1 to E3 Marine Corps. Okay, and um, hold on, I gotta, I have the percentages of. Um, what they are in the population. So I'll go through that after I just go through the numbers. Okay, so Asian, so uh, Native Americans are 1% of the population. They are 1.1% of the 2016 E1 through E3. Asians are 6% of the population. They are 2.8% of E1 through E3 Marines. Uh, Black or African Americans are... 13% 13% of the of the nation they are 11% of the uh 2016 E133 uh multi-race 0.5 is what the Marine Corps has and the nation has 2.0 Pacific Islanders are 1% of the Marine Corps they are 0.5% of the population whites are six are eighty three percent of the Marine Corps, and they are sixty percent of the culture. Now, um, Hispanics are not represented in there, but they are twenty two percent of the force. Okay, so how how do we parse it that fits number? Right in. Okay, I would tell you, I would give, I would give you twenty percent because the unknown is at zero when you're a private. So evidently, they don't know that they could check unknown. When you're a private or a recruit, so they don't. So I would tell you that probably 20% say they're white, which in that case makes the the white marine number about 60%. And let's just say 2% is say they're black, and that means that number is 9%. So the major the major categories of white would be in the six in the low 60s for the Marine Corps uh, in 2016. The most recent number, Hispanic 22%, right? And they are 16, I'm sorry, 18% of the population, right? So you're overrepresented by Hispanics. Black would be nine, and they are 13. You're underrepresented in black, and you're underrepresented in, in, in Asians, okay? So now let's, let's transport ourselves into the E7 to E9 on the enlisted side, okay? 
So we have 1.3% of American Indian and Alaskan Native, and, and they are 1% of the population. So we've grown that. Uh, Asians have shrunk. They're 2.4%. And remember, they're sick. So we're deficient in the Asian population in the senior enlisted side, right? Black or African-American, that grows from, I would tell you, 9% to about 16%, okay? They are 13% of the population. So we're over 3%, you know, in in, in black senior enlisted. Uh, multi-race is 1.5%. Okay, they're 2%, so we grow that number. Uh, Pacific Islanders at 1%, so they stay constant. And white is at 64%. Now, for some reason, Hispanics then are at 20.6%. So they're still almost 5% more. I'm sorry, they're almost they're 3% more than they are in the population. But they're so when you but when you go into these numbers, they figured out that you can check unknown. So 13% of the Hispanics have figured it out, right? Now where does the other um essentially eight percent go? Well I would give seven percent of that to white. So that would drop the white number to fifty seven percent and I'd give a percentage to, to black and that would drop that to to fifteen percent. So when you look at those numbers, you're over in black senior enlisted, you're over in Hispanic senior enlisted, you're probably under in white senior enlisted, okay? And again, this is all, you have to kind of massage this data because, right, being Hispanic is not a race, it's an ethnicity according to this categorization. So if you look at that, is what the commandant's saying is if we're going to be more like our culture, are we going to tell senior black NCOs that, sorry, we're going to, we have to quota this thing. We're not going to need as many of you in the future. And by about, you know, 3%, we're going to drop you from about, well, 2% to from 15% to about 13. Are we going to look at Hispanic staff NCOs and say, Hey, you guys are at 20, you're 18% of the population. So just be prepared, you know, for some of more of you not to make it. Okay. Our white number is a little bit low, so we're going to up that by about a percent. Asian number, we've got to up that by about three. Yeah, I would is that say, where the Marine Corps is headed? Does no. anybody believe yeah, so that that's going to happen? It's a ridiculous question. I mean, it's a ridiculous proposition. Right. So it's not a problem on the enlist. It's not a problem. My point is this. When you go through the data, we we do reflect the nation. Maybe we could do better on the uh, recruiting Asian Marines and stuff like that. Okay. But again, we are reflective of the nation. And if anything, the Marine Corps' success story is in, right, retaining and promoting and their achievements in the Marine Corps for black staff NCOs and Hispanic NCO staff NCOs. That's a that's a good story for the Marine Corps to tell. So well, I, I what is General Berger talking about? Go one level up. Think of the military organizations in history that would have this conversation parsing out one or two percents here or there. I can think of two that would have this kind of conversation. Apartheid South Africa and Nazi Germany would parse their numbers like this. Whoa. Be so worried about those kinds of things. I don't think the apartheid South Africans were that worried about it. 
Uh, I would say it may be a, a degree of uh, you know, just a, you when know, you're in sorry. a club with those two organizations, get out of that club, right? And yeah, you you go through the numbers like that. The idea that that we keep that kind of statistical detail and it's even screwed up, which says something about our manpower system. But yeah, it's a complete non-issue. And I would challenge anyone in this room to think about any unit that you were in and reflect, was that a good unit or a bad unit? And then try and parse through the racial ethnic data as a predictor of to whether it was a good unit or a bad unit. It's no. something you never even thought about. You thought about who's the CO, who's the, who's, who are the natural leaders, right? Are we accomplishing those things? And that data, it, I don't ever remember it being part of the conversation. But here yep. we are in the leadership and, of the Marine Corps. And, 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 you, and, and I would say the, the point of diversity has got nothing to do with race, ethnicity, et cetera. If mm -hmm. you focus on those things, you will bring conflict. The diversity yeah. that we seek to achieve is that people have wide experiences and educations so they can bring those disparate ideas to form a more cohesive, thoughtful, useful uh, course of action to be employed by a very cohesive group. Uh, you avoid groupthink. You can't avoid groupthink by saying, I need one person of this race and one person of that ethnicity. And one per that doesn't guarantee you anything at all. And it's actually very racist because you're saying, I need someone of this ethnicity because they think that way or they're all from this kind of background. Yeah, That sounds we like someone from Alabama in 1858 talking. You got, you got a service that's open to all can qualify and the recruiters go and they do a good job of selling it and we get a pretty and mac ran through all the numbers ad nauseum get a pretty good representation to go beyond that is to try and monkey with things for no other reason except for cosmetics and that's you know antithetical towards combat readiness and yeah cosmetic is a good word there jeff yeah exactly yeah. right all right look, i i want you because you guys you guys have been recruiters, so I, I, I want to go through the officer numbers real quick, and then um, I want to ask you guys about recruiting, all right? And so um, the officers, uh, for some reason, uh, the Hispanic number is 8.6. The number of unknowns relative to race on the officer mm -hmm. side is 8.3. So I'm not sure why at OCS they, they've, they figure it out. But anyway, so these numbers are easy. Uh, Hispanic, 18% of the population, 8.3% of lieutenants through captains. Uh, so Caucasians, whites, 80% of the officer corps. Uh, Pacific Islanders, 0.7%. Multiracial, 1.6%. Uh, black or African American, 4.8%. Uh, Asian, 3.4%. And American Indian, Alaskan, 1%. All right, so now fast forward to 07 through 010. All right, um, Af uh, American Indian, zero. Asian, one. 1.1%. 1. 1. Black or African American, 
6.9%. Now, remember, this is 2016. This is the, lat- late, the data that the Marine Corps put out last year. If there's newer data, I haven't seen it. I went looking for it today. Uh, multiracial, zero. Pacific Islander, zero. White, 88.5%. Um, Hispanic, 3.4%. So that is your officer corps. Okay. Now, <clears throat> that is not reflective of the demographics of the nation. And in my opinion, this is what General Berger is talking about. And I think it would behoove the Marine Corps if he would just say that, right? If he would just say that, hey, we got a problem in the General Officer Corps that we need to fix. And here's why I believe it, sh- it, it, it should be the way it is. But it's like he's painting the whole Marine Corps. But I want to I wanna, I wanna ask you guys about recruiting uh, officers in particular. Is the Marine Corps a hard sell? Um, no. You know, to officers no. in general? No, it's easy. It's easy. Um, no, no, no. But it's easy recruiting for officers was always, was always easy. It's that, not that even, was, they never, no one ever got fired for not, for not recruiting officers. No matter how shitty your RS was, you know, you're also usually made mission because there's, there's a tremendous uh, um, demand for young guys coming out of college who want to be officers, you know? And uh, the problem is this. Minorities who get to college and do well, their propensity to join is markedly less than uh, than white because, uh, first of all, their proportions way smaller. So if, even though most white kids who graduate college don't want to join the Marine Corps and be officers, enough of them do so that it easily can fill our ranks. But when you get to the, the minorities, the ones who get in there, usually they got a background that's uh, – that's not, you know, affluent. And so consequently, affluence and and for some of them, you know, a, uh, a family um, sense of uh, loyalty means that they got to get something where they can get some money quick, where they get a good living quick and they show that success. And Humpin' Hills and Camp, uh, Camp Pountain may not be what's in their mind. So although we do get we do get them, you know, we get Hispanic officers, we do get black officers. A lot of them, though, come from the enlisted ranks. But the ones we do get, we get them. We just don't get those big numbers. A big joke. In- right. Now, let me, let, me, let me ask you this. Um, I was reading something that talked about the competition for that, that young man, that young woman that's either right. Hispanic, black, or Asian, right, that's a minority, that is physically fit enough to be an officer in the Marine Corps, is academically excellent enough to, to pass all that they have to do, that the competitive space for that person yes. is uber competitive. It's not like they don't have options that, that most of them, I don't want to say can write their own ticket, but they have corporations that are throwing their doors open you know, you're, and you're saying, right come work back. for us. I mean, the big Cause, joke cause it, among all RSCOs was this. If it looks like you're going to get fired, even because they're going to fire you because you're in listed numbers. But if you can find a black female lawyer who plays the fucking tuba, you, you'll last another six months, you know, because of the, even though there's technically no quota, you know what I'm saying? They're looking for those uh, those things. You just hit the nail on the head on why, you know, it's uh, the competition is the reason we we have a hard time getting them for sure. Hey Mac, do you have a number on the number of 
um, of black second lieutenants? Like, if no, you think about it's just it, oh one through oh three, or we commission about sixteen hundred lieutenants a year. Yeah, it might be eighteen hundred. At the peak, it was about two thousand. So if you get sixteen hundred, thirteen percent of sixteen hundred is two hundred and eight. If you only recruit ten percent, that's one hundred and sixty. Yeah. We're not talking about big numbers. You're talking about 30, 40, or 50 people here. Right. So, um, you know, how are you going to turn the ship to try and change your numbers? You know, you can't. Precisely. You can't, Will. And, and precisely. You'll change other stuff that you don't want to change. Yeah. A 1% change, it's 16 people. And, you know, if, we're talking numbers. If we're dealing with 100,000, right. you might think differently. Let me I tell you guys two another is, number. Another big number that's that's really significant. When I joined the Marine Corps in 1975, we had a huge, a way bigger number of kids who were qualified physically. By the time I was a recruiter in 1982, that number had shrunk by like 10%. By the time I was a CO of recruiting station... You know, 97, it's shrunk even further. And now it's like half of that. The kids are just fat and out of, sh and, and they're, they got diseases and stuff and they've been on drugs, <laughs> behavior things, you know, that's not even an exaggeration. That's the truth. So it's harder and harder for the recruiters to do this. And for the general in charge of the Marine Corps to say, we're going to recruit, you know, basically these uh, secret agents, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, James Bond or whatever, you know, in their mid 20s. I mean, he's high, you know, I mean, it's just not going to happen. And, it, and it, it's not only that for the officer pipeline. Wait a minute. Did you, you just know, say that? Did you just say the commandant was high? He's not dealing with reality. Yes. Because, you know, you got to what other preparation <laughs> to be that to be, you know, that person is there other than the time in the Marine Corps? You know, is this just you get some guy who who's part of Outward Bound, who likes to you know, who likes to run triathlons and stuff. And then on the spare time, he tries to figure out cold fusion. Yeah, there's plenty of those guys hanging around the drugstore. Let's go yeah. get them. You know? <laughs> I would say, as, as I understand this idea of aging the Marine Corps, other than very boutique people to try and recruit later, I think the idea would be that we retain more of the people that came in when they were 18. So instead of getting rid of 75% of the people that came in that were 18, now they're 22, we retain, instead of 25%, we retain 30. Then we retain 35. Then we retain 40. And that naturally ages the force. What runs up against that, though, is compensation. To do that, you've got to yes. slow down promotion. You've got to oh, slow yeah. down you got to slow down promotions. And then the slow, when your compensation is based on your promotion and also inherent in the Marine Corps is this idea of achievement, i.e. getting promoted. So that, you is tell, so that is a great point. That is a great point. If, 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 we, if we get to this thing where in order to age the force, you're not going to make corporal until your second enlistment. 
I, I, that is a significant challenge that you can't ferry dust away. And the details are not within that talent management plan. The theory makes sense to me. Age of the force, not by recruiting 22-year-olds, but by recruiting 18-year-olds, inculcate them with the values, turn them into the Staff Sergeant Kenny, et cetera. But if Staff Sergeant Kenny was going to be a Lance Corporal when he was 24, it, it just I, I don't know how you square that circle. I'll give you a couple things I've heard postulated. You're going to reduce, you're going to, one, recruit depot is going away, right? And two, part of the recruiting force is going away because you just have to recruit less. And so, so, so those are things that I've, I've been told how that naturally uh, migrates. But, you know, my, and my comeback was that never works though. That whole well, divest I invest there, thing. But it doesn't that, answer that, the question of how do you age the force while retaining them in lower grades? Right? Right. You're going to have to you completely have to, you're fundamentally have to pay, you're have change to the compensation system, which is not under the purview of the commandant. Right. You know, that's in law. And that means right. the other services as well. Got it. You know, the pay table is not the Marine Corps pay table, the Navy. The pay table is the DOD pay table. So are, are our sister services going to do the same thing? Or are we going to have a special thing? And then we're going to be trying to sell people, oh, yeah, if you wanted to be whatever in the Air Force after six years, you'd be an EX and you'd make this. But in the Marine Corps, you're only going to be this. Again, in theory – it might work. I just don't, you know, the scientist in me sees the theory, the engineer in me doesn't see how you get the solution based yeah. on that science. Well, that's me. I'm not. You have Absolutely. both, you have both those people in inside. You you? I just had the practical recruiter. Wow, that's practical impressive. Recruiter Hold on. Timmy, Timmy was going to, Timmy was going to make a, po Timmy was going to make a point a few minutes ago. Timmy, Timmy, go <laughs> No, I was I was just trying to get in uh, about the officers. We don't get a high percentage of anybody. Uh, we don't try to recruit officers. It's not like anybody's trying to sell somebody into the officer programs. Normally, we're because we don't give a shit if they don't make it through OCS. It's a challenge that they've got to reach. And so, the only thing that's an anomaly in the Marine Corps that I remember distinctly was when we were all in Quantico and they called it the Irish Officers Course because it seemed like the entire staff had Irish surnames. That was in a bit of an anomaly. But, you know, it doesn't matter which demographic you're looking at. You're not going to get a lot of representation from, from any of them because we're not that big. And that was always the deal was, uh, you know, you've got to, particularly at the officer's ranks, we're not trying to get you to pass OCS. You've got to want to pass this son of a bitch to get in. And that was, I thought, was always our strength regardless of who the 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 percentages of people coming in are yeah, racially there's there's also there's you know there's mathematical theories as well about the fallacy of small numbers if you if you take a very small sample i.e the generals in the marine corps 80 87 out of 180,000 and then draw broad sweeping conclusions based on that small sample size it's a complete fallacy 
And if right. again, if 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 what you postulate is a commandant's problem, they, the generals don't reflect. Well, that's one of the reasons why uh, they're just never going to, right? A shift of ten people in an organization of 180 something thousand. I can't do the math in my head, but it's an infinitesimally small shift. But it would yeah. be a huge, dramatic shift in that sample size of 85 or 87. Mm -hmm. And so that's well. And here's why I say, look, if that's what you want to do, the then just quota the shit. Yeah, we because first of all, most general officers become high-functioning conformists at that end. The difference between you and you doing it, I think, is interchangeable for the most part. Now, there is the occasional dinosaur, right? Absolutely. The meat eater. But most of the time, they have been well-rounded, worn. They've gone to etiquette school, taking them off boss, right? Putting them on boss, right? They're, so it's not like we're getting Clausewitz and Jomini and all the rest of them, okay? By that time, they are part of the corporation. So just quota it. We're, we're talking about a very, very small number of people, right? Because the vast majority of the vast majority of the people of the organization is diverse and reflects the nation. And that to me is the most, if that's what gets us there, then fucking get us there. Make them quotas. They'll be fine. Colonel, Brigadier General, what's the fucking difference? Who gives a shit, right? How bad can they fuck it up? Right? That's it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, am, I, hey, am, I, am I wrong? I, I mean, high-functioning conformists. Yep, 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 yep. No. Sure. Oh. It's not like we see this busting out. Yes? Well, then, they'll do it for everything. No, every, everything's not a problem. The people who oh. go and testify are the problem. Doesn't matter. Not, well, there's no problem at all in the Marine Corps, in oh. my opinion, that they're talking about. We have this urgent hey, problem with we got to get rid how of much? That. How much longer does the military enjoy such a high reputation amongst the public if this it continues? Doesn't. It doesn't. It can't. The, mil the military's reputation. Yeah, that was pretty stunning. That was pretty stunning. In the last two years. We took That's a pretty set. You know, it's yeah. pretty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty, you know, it always held in high regard by the public and then to see that number after the number of people that have got involved in politics that we talked about um you know quite frankly the performance in uh that we've seen with the navy leading the way in just disaster after disaster and then the very public you know catastrophe at the Kabul international airport and and all of that and so and and even worse, Mac. They said what who's debacle? responsible. That was for great. This they go, it was debacle? great. We we conducted this, this awesome video. Oh, yeah. Successful. Yeah. It's flawless. Yeah. We got people out of Afghanistan didn't even want to come out. Apparently, they they right, what are you up reading? on the planes, and that's how good we were. Oh, oh, Timmy, what do you read? Well, I've got to I've got to go back and find it because I was I was. Uh, I was looking at something else here. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. So I, let me ask you this. Is there consensus among of... us? So the, when the commandant talks about we're going to reshape the force, he's not talking about, right, disparities like too many black or Hispanic staff and COs. That's not what he's talking about, is he? 
do we have consensus? No. So, but we do have consensus no. about right too many white generals. Yes, that's what he's talking about. Then Jerome Berger, yeah. just say it. I got too, I got too many white generals. Okay, so general, I'm, I just fired thirty of them, all right? And I just appointed thirty more, and I just solved the problem. <laughs> Done. Next, next. And, and if. And if he, he is a man of true character, period. if he's a man of true character and genuine, yeah, he's pretty white. He's right. pretty white. When he's I see him, I see white. That's what. That's like he's white bald guy. You don't get whiter than that, man. He is a person. He's the personification of white guy. <laughs> and you know what? He's a he's a nice guy, and he's always been very gracious <laughs> to me, even when he disciplined me. Um, the um, but yeah, he is the personification of it. Um. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I agree about him being a, a decent guy too. I mean, right. He's, right, right, you know, right. I just don't understand this at all. All right, so here's so here's a Jerome Berger, right? Carve out the, the the billets, right, and install people in them, right? Make it happen. Let's go quotas. Let's do it. Be done with this. Next issue. All right, Timmy, what what are you reading? Well, I had I had saw that another Dan Carlin uh, podcast was out last week, and in it he was interviewing an author by the name of Dan Jones, who I've not heard of before, a Middle Ages guy. And so I uh, he's talking about a new history of the Middle Ages, which was was uh, came out last week, as a matter of fact. Called I can't think of anything Thrones. more fucking boring. So I, I googled Dan Jones. Did you ever study the fucking Middle Ages? Oh, dude. Well, this is yes. the new history of the Middle Ages. This is a contemporary account by a guy. And look, so I, I Google Dan Jones, and there's like, the, it comes up, Dan Jones books, Dan Jones articles, Dan Jones tattoos. He's got like a whole page on his tattoos. He's a historian. What I didn't kind know. Of, what but kind just, of so I, I got the powers and the thrones. You're a tattoo, you're I, a tattoo I guy, right? I didn't bother you're following up on that. Quite frankly, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I don't care about Dan Jones's tattoo. I just wanted to see if he wrote a good book, and he did, bro. This guy does a good job going through the middle of the ages and whipping you through a yeah, thousand that's years bull- in about that's 500 bullshit. pages or so. You can't go and through, like, 700 years in 500 pages. That's less than a, a page a year. Mitch Dude, Michner, got a whole, Michner like, goes through websites donated yeah. to his tattoos. Yeah, Michner and, goes through know, a thousand and years and like fifteen hundred nah, pages. Okay, but, that's my standard. No, no, I no, I've 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 uh, I've listened and read. All right, so is he is he toll, Horn Fisher told us on the Templars and the. No, no, he he's no no he would be more like a uh, T R Fahrenbach in how he goes and takes a sweep through history and kind of lumps stuff together and discusses I wish it you could see Timmy as in bankers. I wish you could see Timmy I, I, gesticulating. I when he said a sweep through history, he took both his hands and he put them to his left and then he swept them to the right and then he made a box with his hands. You, we need to do this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm telling you. I get animated I get animated he's by He's bullshit. Good I don't even know who he is, and he's, I think he's bullshit. He's has, a charlatan. He's done an excellent job. I don't even know what that is either. I, like I said, it was a, it was a new author. A, a new author I thought was worth bringing up to our, our faithful fans. But you're, you're like tattoo, you're tattoo so hating on uh, as a tattoo a, man. a hip guy. 
No, Wait, I just didn't particularly Will, do you have a tattoo? tattoos. I wasn't particularly interested in what he had there. You do? Of course. Whoa. Yes, me and Jeff yeah. got them the same time. That's right. We all got, when we got back from that float, we all got tatted up at Zeke's. Zeke's tattoo <laughs> But he wasn't I'm at Corpse oh. Boulevard. So it's not <laughs> quite authentic. He was on the second front. Yeah, only, right. You're right. Only an eighth Marine veteran would know what the second front is. Right. That's right. Out there, we can get ha- AIDS and playing the jukebox what, um, Toby's. Yes. Will, what are you reading? So I read two books last week. Uh, one is called Madhouse at the End of the Earth. Madhouse at the end, yeah, Madhouse at the end of the Earth. It's about a ship called the Belgica, which went to Antarctica in 1898 and got stuck in the ice. And uh, <laughs> very worthwhile. A guy named Julian. Have you Sank, read the? Uh, what's the other guy who got stuck in the ice? Muscleman loves the guy. Shackleton. Yeah, Shackleton. How would you compare yeah, this that. guy that, that to that guy? That was like 1914 or 15. Uh, Shackleton is the all-time number one because when he went down there, every member of his crew survived. And to rescue yeah. him, he went in an open boat and sailed and hit, I think, South Georgia Island, climbed over a glacier to get rescue. He met the guy who was a harbor master in St. Georgia or in Georgia. In, yeah, yeah by the Falklands. Down by yeah. the Falklands. Met the guy, the harbor master, <laughs> who had known him 10 years before. Didn't recognize him. When he introduced himself, I'm Shackleton, the guy broke down in tears. Couldn't believe it. Shackleton's a hero. This, this journey is an absolute mess. But if you're into suffering in the polar regions or the... Ugh, South Polar regions, very. Who is it? <laughs> the second book Who I read it? was a book was a great book. It's called The Good American by Robert Kaplan. Oh, I and heard Kaplan, of that book. Kaplan, a great writer, writes all kinds of stuff. He writes about this guy named Robert uh, Gersoni, who was a contractor for like USAID and the State Department in the seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands. Wherever there was horrific human suffering going on, think Rwanda, Sudan, um, Somalia, Somalia, uh, the Balkans, Chicago. (laughs) This guy, Gersoni, would go, and his MO was to just go and interview people. And he said, all the grand theories in Washington are complete crap. You go bet. and find out what the people there say and what they want. And uh, it's a it's a great book. The Good American by Robert Kaplan. And then I had bought this book before Tim shit all over it, but I knew how terrible it was going to be. Victor Davis Hanson, The Dying Citizen. As Tim said, it's unbelievably depressing. Because Hanson yeah. talks about the difference between what what being a citizen means. And how basically we are in the process of flushing the greatest country in the history of the world right down the shitter without even without even caring uh, about what we're doing. Uh, Hansen is a phenomenally great writer and his ability yeah. to take modern things and relate them to Ancient. classical history and show yeah. that these people in particularly ancient Greece they knew everything. They laid it all out for us. You just got to read the roadmap 
and you won't screw it up. And we continually refuse to do it. So I'm going to read the whole book. It is depressing. I would say do not drink when you read this book because it won't That's end too well. Much to ask. So, so Jeff, you won't be able to read it. I get it. But <laughs> don't anyone else sell out me there? Short man. Don't I'll take. Do don't don't be on Xanax. Don't drink <laughs> when you read this yeah, book because it Xanax, just won't Xanax. end well for you. But it's a <laughs> it's a worthwhile book and 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 it, uh, it it it's something that. You know, people that give a shit, particularly politicians, he gives you all the evidence you need to counter all kinds of stupidity that's going on out there. Um, right. That maybe we're looking in the abyss right now and we'll, we'll be able to step back from it. But if not, we're going to step off the cliff and the next thing is, you know, we're going to hit the bottom. So the good news is it doesn't take everybody. It just takes enough, you know? Yeah. Right now, there's not enough, but this book is right. a great. That's Victor right. Davis Hanson. So that's Two what books, I've been huh? reading. No, I completed two. Do you feel like you have to share like your, the numbers of books you've read? Does that make you feel like better than Timmy? Timmy, Timmy only read one. I read none. <laughs> Jeff, did, Jeff didn't read any books either. Well, He's going to come up with one. I mean, he did not. You know, He's been drinking and recovering. I did. I did. Listen, all of my fans. I, I read there, two. I need my fans. I, need my fans I read two myself. That I'm, <laughs> I'm continuing to function. Is that oh, you holding up one, one finger? So, yeah, I was. So I just I tell you about a guy you never heard of. So I, you know, I get my alumni magazine from the Naval Academy. They put the obits in there. Uh, and so a guy died in August of 21, Bobby Harold Freeman, class of 55. Never heard of him. He was a Marine, Lieutenant Colonel when he retired. But the reason to talk about him is that he was with Alpha 1-5 in Pusan and uh, at Incheon. So just a great veteran that you never heard of. Uh, actually left Korea in October. So did not go to Chosen Reservoir and uh, ended up at the Naval Academy and uh, graduated in 55, did his 20 odd years in the Marine Corps and uh, passed away in August. So just another great guy, another great American out there. Uh, First so Battalion, Fifth Marines. Out of my alumni magazine. Alpha Company. Bob uh, Pittsburgh, Freeman. Pennsylvania. Where was he born? Now, Harold come on, Freeman. Bobby Harold Freeman. Uh, Atlanta, Atlanta, Bobby, Georgia. Bobby. <laughs> Damn it, that was I my that was my next guess. Jeffrey, <laughs> <laughs> Bobby <laughs> Harold Freeman. He had to be born Jeff, in Pine Bluff. Jeffrey. I wish I would have nah, known. Know him. Sounds like a you great know, man. Small pieces of hit history, right? So, because I was at Vegas. Yep. Because I was at Vegas so much, Lori made me unload boxes of books. So I found two old books. Um, one is called Arthur Rex. Read that. It's about King Arthur, and King. And it's written by Thomas Berger, of course, who's the guy who wrote Little Big Man. Remember that? And mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a very great. It's a funny book. It's an interesting book. And uh, I thought for a minute there that the movie Excalibur was based on that. But it's just too funny, and Excalibur was not really a funny movie, you know. So uh, I read that, and that, that was good. 
and uh, it really kind of focuses on Sir Gawain, you know what I mean? But uh, it was it was a very good, entertaining book. Then to torment myself, or I thought I was going to torment myself, ended up being very entertaining. I reread A Movable Feast by Ernest Hemingway, which is him remembering what it was like being in Paris in the 20s before he was uh, successful. And he goes into a bunch of vignettes about F. Scott Fitzgerald and Gertrude Stein and, uh, you know, uh, um, um, Ezra Pound and famous literature people of that day. And uh, and also like Picasso, he met them and stuff and because they're all, all trying to get ahead. And they're all trying to make a mark. So it's really interesting, you know, uh, that. And then uh, Heming- did you know Hemingway's oldest son, Jack Hemingway, who I think is the father of Margot Margo. and uh, the other Hemingway girl? He was a P- yeah, he was a POW in the Second World War. He was an OSS guy. And uh, he got caught by the Germans. And Hemingway's like <clears throat> beside himself, you know. But uh, he lived, obviously, you know, because he had those girls and stuff, you know. But uh, yeah, interesting, interesting guy, interesting stories, you know, and uh, you know, worth worthwhile if you ever want to. Uh, it's almost more interesting reading about Hemingway than uh, reading his books. Like for instance, you know, Hemingway's college career—he had no college career. He he was a graduate of Oak Park High School and Forest Park High School for languages and uh that was it he just learned how to write because he was a reporter and and they kept saying make it shorter make it shorter make it shorter so that became his style he cut the shit out of everything he did and uh you know proofs in the pudding two questions where was he a reporter he was a reporter the kansas city star city star there you go right second question right you're right what second question? and then I didn't okay. own any of those books. Who did you steal them from? I let me tell you that fucking mo- that movable feast. I bought it from the uh, bookstore in. Uh, <laughs> you Arkansas. sir are a liar. No, I'm not lying about that. This is before I perfect. I perfected my skills. I, I oh. bought that book before I came in the Marine Corps. You should see it. it doesn't even have a back cover. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Re- I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Now the now I can't say the same thing about the. About the Arthur Rex one. I might have stole that from Mike Mann. I didn't read stuff, anything last no, week. I, <laughs> I scratched out. I tore out the page that has the inscription on it. So I, don't I didn't read anything last week, but I did get told that I was one of the most profound <laughs> human beings somebody had ever met. Think, think about that. Wow. Really? Hang around Skid Row. How much think about cost? that. I, I want all... I want... I want <laughs> I want all three of you fucks to think about that, okay? It was from an artist, okay? (laughs) An artist from from Laguna Beach, California. An artist, no less. Okay? Yeah, think about that tonight, right? When you're picking your nose and acting stupid, okay? All three of you, okay? Yeah, I, I think about all the Saturday mornings I was down yeah. at the beach at that damn half court, holding on, holding on to, yeah, holding on. Yeah, no, I played out there for hours yeah. on yeah. Saturday yeah. mornings. You know what I, I love? love I I love seeing pictures yeah. of Marines from World War II, who got who got their portraits taken in Laguna Beach, right? And they have the gigantic bouffant hairdo, right? Right? And they've got their cover like on their head sideways, and yeah, you're looking at it, and you're like. What in the fuck is that? Who allowed that shit? And it says, so-and-so studio, Laguna Beach, California. 
And uh, no, that's good. Like how we came out of that with short yeah. hair and everybody wears the same uniform when nobody look at any Iwo Jima photo and you can't find two motherfuckers wearing the same thing to 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 save your ass. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't that's know. Who says, that's Save your head or we're all going to be uniform. Like all the World War Two guys said, like, what do you say? Like, that's not us. We don't do that. It's kind of free dress once we get the shit out of here, man. So anyway. All right, boys. I appreciate the conversation tonight. As always, have a great week. Oh, yeah. And uh, oh, we yeah. might have to somehow videotape this to, because you have to see Timmy gesticulating as he begins to move everything all over the place. You no, you know what? That's true. I'm a global thinker. True. I'm a global thinker. Go. Mm-hmm. All right, we're done. See ya. Yeah. That'll do it. You know, and let me just say that you know, we're children of the 50s, all of us. Grew up in the 60s, watched the nation go through the civil rights movement. And those are tough guys. And they're not a racist bone in any of them. And this whole issue of institutional excellence because we're going to go play You Bet Your Life and people are going to get dead. That issue with diversity, first of thought, what role does diversity of skin color play in that? All of us believing that you know, we come from a multi- multicultural society and we'll offer everybody the same opportunity. And it's up to you to seize that opportunity. It's up to us to support you through that. Okay? Now, the hard part comes when you're where the commandant is. You're being told the general officers aren't white, are too white. So how do I fix that? Do I quota it? Certainly could. Are there things I can do for my captains, majors, lieutenant colonels, and colonels that will create more opportunities for minority officers specifically? Am I doing enough in that realm? Can I do more? And that has to be counterbalanced between are you going to lower your standards? And that and that's not an easy discussion to have. And so my thanks to my friends for coming on and, and wrestling with that pig. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts. So if you have a chance, you know, what makes the Marine Corps great? How does the Commandant thread this needle? Specifically, the whiteness of general officers of the Marine Corps. Rest Marine Corps looks pretty good. Right? And you can see when you look at the data compared to other services, it looks even better. So, with that said, thanks for listening on this Thursday. Have a great day. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. If I can do something to help you, something to help a friend, don't hesitate. Let me know. I'll be happy to do that. I'm kind of geeked. I just got pinged about, hey, might you do like, 
a version of post-traumatic winning for high school students. I was like, oh my fucking God. I've been dying to do that. How about that? Yeah. Anyway. So, have a great day. This program will repeat itself momentarily, so don't go anywhere. You'll listen to Steve Winwood for a minute or two. So, on that note, I'm out.